good morning again. We have reached the uh, end of our Little Books, Big Stories uh, sermon series, and I had a, a funny revelation this week. I have been calling it by the wrong name. The whole time I've been calling our sermon series Small Books, Big Stories, and while the two words are synonyms, it's pretty funny when you put it on the website. Not quite right. So <laughs> I hope you'll laugh with me as I laugh at myself, because it's important for us to recognize those things. and, and ourselves up for it. We all make mistakes, and that was one of mine. I just got a chance to do it in front of lots of people. <laughs> so again, we've reached the end of our summer sermon series, Little Books, Big Stories. The sermon series was launched in hopes that it would give us all an opportunity to dig into some of those shorter books of the Bible that we sometimes overlook. And Pastor Sean and I both admit we had to look at the table of contents to make sure we found exactly where it was. We'd read it before. We had to read it when we were in seminary. But it's not one of those that you read every day. It's not typically one of those favorite books that we go to. And so I hope that in these past six weeks, that you, these past five weeks, and today being the sixth, that you have had an opportunity to, to gain some new favorites, some new go-tos that touch your heart, that can touch your community, that can touch your family. Um, we believe that every time that you look into Scripture, every time that you encounter Scripture, you encounter God. And so each of these times, if this sermon series has given you an opportunity to read more into Scripture than you have before, we want to thank God for that. And I pray that you are growing closer and closer to Him in that process. Uh, when we read the Word of God, we must always remember that He is meeting us there. So we go with gladness. We go with joy. And we even go with pain because God knows Every feeling that we have, he knows our hearts. He even knows every hair on our head. So we can bring that to him when we go to him in prayer and we go to him in the word. So remember to check out your email this afternoon for the final uh, edition of the take-home study. That will be coming and it complements today's lesson. In the six weeks, we've explored the book of Joel, and we discovered how even in the midst of their sin, God did not abandon his people, and he said, return to me. And it's a reminder to us that we too can return to God, for he is a God who's gracious and compassionate. God loves us and redeems us. We walk through the book of Haggai, and we sometimes find ourselves distracted just like they do. Um, but God told the people of Haggai to refocus on him. And we can remember that same message, refocus on God. We were challenged to take courage and to remember that God is with us. In week three, we scooted on over to the New Testament and we looked at the book of Titus. The letter calls the people of God to have put on Christ, if you've put on Christ, embrace the newness of life that changes us from who we were to who God wants us to be. They were invited to devote themselves to doing good for the sake of the gospel, just as we are invited week after week to devote ourselves to doing what is good. In weeks four and five, we looked at letters from John. Second John is the shortest of all of the little books in this series, 
It is uh, just over 13 verses long. In this letter, John writes to the elect lady and her children. The church encourages them to walk in obedience, and he tells them to follow the commands of Christ, to not be deceived by those who might lead you astray. All relevant topics for today in 2019. And then we moved over to 3 John, which was just last week, and it gave us a reminder that when you are a believer— in the Lord Jesus Christ, how we treat one another represents Christ. And we are called to live a life of hospitality. We are called to live a life of hospitality for the sake of Christ. For when we invite others in, when we welcome others in, we welcome Christ. And so now, we have reached week six, and we return to the Old Testament, to the book of Habakkuk. Like Joel and Haggai, Habakkuk is an Old Testament minor prophet. Just three chapters long, his contribution to Scripture is what is considered the eighth book among 12 minor prophets in the Old Testament. Other than what is stated in this book, we really don't know anything else about Habakkuk. Habakkuk is a rather prolific and persistent writer, though. He goes to God, and then he goes again, and then he goes yet again, and his can inspire us as we walk through our own journey of faith. Habakkuk is seeking God for social justice. It's a term we hear a lot today, uh, but it's obviously not a new concept if we have it all the way in the Old Testament. We also don't know exactly, not exactly when it was written, but it was likely around the 6th century BC based on references to the Chaldeans and the Babylonians and the impending doom at the hands of the Babylonians. What we do know is that Habakkuk is persistent. He is persistent. Nevertheless, he persisted. And he is more persistent than most. So throughout my life, I've been always taught to persist. Even when you hear a no, persist. Even when you hear silence, persist. But sometimes in our community, we don't hear that same truth. I've heard many people say, you can persist in, in the world, but don't question God. If you question God, that's like a sign of doubt. But I see just the contrary in Scripture. If you question God, it's not offensive to his divine nature. It's not an affront to his holiness. Time and time again, we see figures in Scripture doing this very thing. And God does not strike them with lightning. He doesn't banish them from the earth. In fact, he allows us some thousands later to still see the questions that they were willing, that they had the courage to ask God. Instead, God clearly answers those who cast their cares to him. He responds to people who cry out to him. And I believe that God ordained these prophetic words to be in Scripture so that we can know that when we need to cry out to him, he hears us. That when we pray, he hears us. And if we're listening, if we're paying attention, if we're reading, if we're meeting him there in Scripture, he answers us and we will hear from him. Just like Habakkuk cried out to God, which we're going to read in just a moment, David cried out to God with some of the same words. Even Jesus said, why? Why hast thou forsaken me? It's okay to ask questions of God. 
He can handle it. Trust me. So we turn to Habakkuk chapter 1. The text is printed in your bulletin. It states the prophet that the prophet that Habakkuk, the prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. How long, Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. This was not a part of prophecy quite yet. This was a part of the questioning, and God is going to answer. How long, Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. You know, to us, that sounds pretty disrespectful. He's accusing God of not listening, but that's how he felt in the moment. And again, we, we have to be reminded that even though he didn't approach God in a way that maybe we would approve of, God still heard from him. God still welcomed him. And that should teach us something, that maybe other people have to approach God in different ways than we would like to approach God. But guess what? He's big enough to handle it. He says, why do you not listen? I out to you violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict of bounds. He was desperate. He was hurting. And he was confused because the God he knew, the God that he served, wouldn't want his people to live in a situation like this. Now, if we don't know the context of Habakkuk's lament or complaint, we might even think he's whining a little bit, that he's being disrespectful. How long? Why? It reminds me a little bit of the question that I hear sometimes. Are we there yet? I'm sure you've heard that question before too. But in the book of Habakkuk, the prophet was, the prophet was crying out to God because of some very real and devastating events. Judah, also known as the people of God, are experiencing serious oppression. Habakkuk wants justice for the community, but God responds and basically says, be careful what you ask for, you just might get it. It seems Habakkuk wanted divine favor that he called justice. And we see evidence of his, his privilege because Habakkuk is beckoning God on behalf of the people of Judah and he was calling them righteous, but he never acknowledged their sin that we see over and over again in, in the other books. God calls him out on that. And he says that, yes, there is suffering now. Yes, this group of people is rising up against you. But don't worry, I will save you. The consequences of their sin is now suffering all of the evil deeds that they had subjected others to, it is now their lot. And they don't like it. They are worried. And Habakkuk is going to go before the Lord persistently and consistently asking for God to protect them from the hands of evil. Habakkuk is very dramatic in his dialogue with God in chapter 1. He begs God for an answer and 
God answers. Again, it's not in the way that Habakkuk would have hoped for. And then Habakkuk comes back with an amazing persistence, but this time he takes a different approach. He says, God, I know that you are immortal. I know that you are righteous. I know that you are holy. I know that you are just. But then he comes back to his question. Why then you tolerate such treacherousness? You silent while the wicked swallow up those who are more righteous than themselves. When we, as people of God today, when we see suffering, sometimes we ask those same questions and we wonder why do children experience abuse? Why do entire groups of people experience oppression? We ask those questions and we don't always get the answers why, but I encourage you to cast that care before the Lord because it's not new to him to hear that kind of prayer. Sometimes it's new to us. Sometimes it's new to us because in this culture we're taught to look out for ourselves. But when we become new in Christ Jesus, we have to put others ahead of ourselves. We have to think about others, pray for others, serve others knowing that the last shall be first and the first shall be last. So we should boost others up, pray for one another, and pray for those who are oppressed. Habakkuk declared, in spite of their sin, Judah is still more righteous than the ones who have been oppressing them, so God should save them. He is working to convince God on their behalf. And even though Judah has not been perfect, we know God is a God of mercy. We know that God is not only a God of justice, but a God of mercy and a God of love. Throughout the other books of the Bible, different prophets confronted the children of Israel about their sin, but not Habakkuk. He stayed focused. He stayed focused on pursuing God to make sure that the people were protected. Sometimes we can, we can look at a person or a situation or a community and say, well, it's because of their sin that they're suffering. And so we don't always do all that we can to help them or to serve them. But Habakkuk didn't do that. He said, in spite of their sin, I'm going to pray. I'm going to press. I'm going to seek God. And the Lord answered him. We can learn from that this morning. Habakkuk tells God, we're going through suffering. Help us. You may have been going through suffering yourself in one area of life or another. We all go through challenges, seen and unseen, named and unnamed. There are trials in your life, in your health, in your family, in your relationships. You might have trouble on your job or in your business. You might have hardships at school or in different areas in your community maybe even in your church. Sometimes these challenges can seem insurmountable. And overcoming these trials, sometimes we, we latch on to the idea that the trials come to make us stronger. I don't necessarily believe that, that the trials come to make us stronger. But I do believe that we get stronger in the process of pursuing God and persisting and never giving up and knowing that God is with us. I believe that God makes us stronger in the midst of it, whether physically, emotionally, or spiritually, God will make us stronger. And I believe in this, this text, in the book of Habakkuk, God was making Habakkuk stronger. 
our faith can get stronger when we go to God and we ask him to help us through these and sometimes confusing times. Our hope gets stronger, our will gets stronger, and our patience gets stronger. So after all of his lamenting to God, Habakkuk finally declares, I will wait. I will wait and see what the Lord has to say. He's poured out his heart to God, and he's waiting. And we don't know how long he had to wait. In Scripture, it goes from verse to another verse. But it could have been days. It could have been months. It could have been years before he heard from from the Lord. But the Lord answers, and he said, write down the vision. Write down the revelation. Make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end. It will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come. It will not delay. See, the enemy is puffed up. His his desires are not upright. But the righteous person, the just, shall live by faithfulness. This is actually the first directive that God gives to Habakkuk in the entire book. He goes to tell him, write the vision. And throughout history, scholars have said, well, what vision? What is the actual vision? Is it something that he said already? Is it something that's yet to come? But if we take the text and we just look at it and we take it at face value, I believe that what comes next is the vision. He said, write it on tablets. Make it plain. It's a promise that is here to provide resolution to the conflict. We all have conflicts that we want resolution for. And in this book, Habakkuk wanted resolution for the oppression that was here at hand. The promise that resolution would come. To see, though, in the midst of that, there are people. You can follow one example or you can follow God. The people who were oppressing the people of Israel, they were puffed up, full of pride, empty, not filled with the Holy Spirit, but filled with their own thoughts that helped them build themselves up. I remember watching a video, uh, Brown Eyes, Blue Eyes, when I was uh, in seminary, and it, it talked about how sometimes when one group is oppressed, when they come out of oppression, they begin to oppress other groups. And so this cycle of oppression continues. In this text, God is speaking to that, and he's saying, the righteous will live by faith. So when I bring you out of this, when I bring you out and there's a resolution, when it comes to an end, don't go and be like your oppressors. Still remain faithful. Still remain faithful. Still trust in what I have told you and how I have told you to live. We go through things in our own lives, and, you know, it's, it's easy to look at people who are being successful in spite of being evil and say, well, maybe I could follow their way. Maybe I can just do what they're doing so that I can have the success that they've had. But that is not what God calls us to do. God calls us to focus on what he has commanded us to do, to love him and love neighbor. The text reminds me of the the New Testament text that says, You are renewed by the transformation of your mind. Be transformed. We can't be transformed and conformed to this world. We must be renewed and transformed. God commanded Habakkuk to write the vision, 
make it plain so that what he's written, a herald may run and see it. Now, I'm, I'm not the youngest person and I don't run that well anymore, but I can assure you that the next generation, my little kids, they could beat me in a race anytime. When we think about a herald and someone that's gonna run with the vision, he's talking about the next generation. So maybe this generation didn't get it all right. Maybe this generation had some major shortcomings, some major failures, some things that they, some sins, just like the people of Israel, that they did not recognize in their own lives. It's not enough to stop there and say, I repent, I realize I was wrong, let me die in peace. No. We must write the vision and let the next generation know this is where we got it wrong. This is where you can get it right. We must write the vision, make it plain so that the next generation may run when they see it. If we don't tell our story, if we don't tell our vision, if we don't let our children know what we've been through and what we've, where we've made our mistakes, how can they not make the same mistakes over and over again? How can they not go forward and, 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 and have to, to learn these hard lessons? We can help the next generation so that they may run with the truth and the truth may set them free. In this text, right after he tells them to write the vision, he tells them about these different sins. And he's saying, don't fall into this trap. Don't follow the way of sin. Follow the way of light and the way of life. Follow me. Follow the word of God. No matter what comes your way, no matter what oppression you see that may be in your own life or in the lives of others, never give up on knowing that I am the Lord God and I am there with you and for you. I will never leave you nor forsake you, just as we hear from Jesus in the New Testament. And Habakkuk finally comes to the end of this book, and he seems to come to some sense of peace with God and with himself. He comes to the end of this book, and he says, Okay, though the fig tree does not bud, they didn't have food that they needed. Though there are no grapes on the vine, they didn't have the, the drink that they needed. Though the olive crops fail and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stall, though things are awful, yet... I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. We've heard about some, some awful things this morning that the people in Habakkuk were going through. And sometimes we try to pretty up the ugly. We try to make it not seem so bad, especially when we're in church, because we want everybody to leave feeling good and, and being happy. And, and sometimes because we do that, we forget about the trouble that really exists, not only in, in the text, but in our real lives, in the world. And when we leave these doors, that's not helpful to just be happy and feel good because we have to go back to those same situations. But the hope is that when you come into this place, that even if your situation does not change, you will be changed, I will be changed, we will be changed together. 
And that no matter what we face outside of these doors, whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether it's oppression, whether we see oppression, that we can still take hope and joy and peace in the Lord God Almighty just like Habakkuk did. Because troubles will come. Trials will happen. Every day won't be sunshine and roses and raindrops and all of these pretty things of these songs that we heard throughout our childhood. Sometimes it's going to get ugly. But when it does, how will you respond? Will you rejoice in the Lord anyway, trusting in his goodness that he is from everlasting to everlasting. He is eternal, immortal, the all-wise God. He is our strength that when maybe there's a bully at school or maybe there's a bully at work or maybe there's a bully in your government or, or on your job, will you still rejoice in the Lord? Will you trust in him always? Will you forget not his benefits? I'm reminded of the song by Casting Crowns. I will praise you in the storm. He says, I was sure by now God would have reached down and wiped our tears away, stepped in and saved the day. But once again, I say amen, that it's still raining. And as the thunder rolls, I can barely hear your whisper through the rain. But God is saying, I'm with you. As that song goes on, he says, I will praise you in this storm. I will lift my hands, for you are who you are, no matter where I am. And every tear I've cried, you hold in your hand. God, you've never left my side. And though my heart is torn, though I may be in a valley, Though I may have seen oppression, though I don't like my circumstances, I will praise you in this storm. So this morning, will you praise God even in the midst of your storm? Will you praise God even in the midst of your trial, even in the midst of your pain, even in the midst of the things that you go through in life that you may not understand? I believe this little bit sums up the book of Habakkuk. That no matter what you go through, no matter what you face, no matter your trial, your situation, will you praise God in the midst of it, in spite of it? And when you see the suffering of others, not turn a blind eye, but know that God hears you when you call. God is faithful. His love and his mercy endures forever. Seek his face. Ask him for help and know that he hears you. And may we live out this word by faith, with courage, trusting in him with hope, knowing that God desires that we would be righteous and the righteous live by faith. Amen. Lord God, we pray that the words that were spoken that it will be like seed planted in soil. That you would help us to trust in you, whether life is good or not so good. That you would help us to 
lean not to our own understandings, but in all our ways acknowledge you, knowing that you will direct our path. Thank you for being with us. Help us to take hope, to find our strength in you, knowing that you will wipe away every tear, knowing that you hold us in your arms, and that you are forever present with us now and even to the end of the age. Mm -hmm.